I cannot tell you how good it is to look out in the room and see faces. So we've been uh, doing this online thing. And this is uh, a whole lot harder to uh, sit in here with empty chairs and uh, communicate a message. And today, I know we don't have as many chairs, but we got faces. And I am just so happy to see you here. And uh, I stood in the back during the song service, the worship time, and my heart is moved because I've missed our time of worship. I've missed just the power of worshiping God and what He does when we worship Him. The Bible says He inhabits the praises of His people. He comes in power. So today, whether you're sitting in the room today or you're online, I know a lot of people still watching online, still going to wait a little while before they join us. Uh, you're welcome to our services today. And um, there's a passage in the book of Isaiah. Years ago, it, it just, it was like a revelation to me. Something that I would have never known had I not read it. And this particular passage, it's revealing and it's identifying about who we are and about who God is and the distance between the two positions. This Isaiah passage I'm about to re read to you reveals that God doesn't think like we think. <laughs> and yet we think He does. And God's ways are not our ways and His thoughts are not our thoughts, even though we think they are. And we think that, that they ought to be. So let's read it. It's the foundation scripture for today, Isaiah 55, verse 8. God says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. God's thoughts and God's ways are infinitely beyond anything any of us can currently imagine. The distance between our thoughts, the distance between our ways are compared by God to the distance between heavens and earth, which means it's unmeasurable. Let's be honest for a moment. This is where we get in trouble with God. This is where naturally we get in trouble with God. We think He thinks like we think. And we, we believe that we ought to be having the same thoughts at the same time on the same issue. It's not possible. In fact, we're the ones that are absolutely wrong when we think that he thinks like we think. We're wrong. We are created, the Bible says, in the likeness and the image of God. But that does not mean that we think alike. That does not mean that we have the same thoughts regarding a certain issue. So let's look at that for a moment. It's, the Bible says we're created in the image and the likeness of God. That point reveals the fact that what, what we can dream. I can dream about the future. I can imagine the future, but I don't know the future. 
but I can dream and I can imagine the future. And in some ways, um, our personality comes from God, the ability to laugh and to have joy and happiness. That, that's from God. I, I think that's in the likeness of God. And, and also the point that from some perspective, we are also eternal. God gave us a soul. So the likeness of God is compared to the fact that he gave us a soul, and the soul is eternal. We had a beginning, but the Bible says we have no end. The soul is eternal. So from that perspective, we're in the likeness of God. We, we have not always been like he is, but we'll always be because he has given us a soul, the life, the breath of life. We are mortal. I look around the room, I understand in the world we are mortal flesh and our mortality does something. It forces us to think in short term because you don't know anybody that's 147. You don't know anybody that age. What? So we naturally think in short term numbers. God doesn't. God is immortal and He is eternal. And he always thinks in terms of eternity. We can't think like that. In the flesh, we cannot think in terms of eternity. God sees our entire life from an eternal perspective. And we can only see right now. In fact, nobody in this room can see Tuesday. None of us. You might have a plan for Tuesday, but you can't see Tuesday. You have no idea what's going to happen Tuesday. But God sees Tuesday already. He sees everything already. God sees your steps and your decisions before they happen. Can you imagine that? God sees your steps, your decisions before they happen. His ways and his thoughts can respond to that which is totally unseen by us. So he can do, he can respond to things that we have no idea even about. In fact, apart from the Bible, we would never know, apart from this book. By the way, I believe this book is the only physical source of absolute truth on this planet. And apart from the Bible, we would never know this fundamental truth about God. His thoughts are not like our thoughts. And his ways are not like our ways. And as high as the heavens are above the earth, so far are his thoughts and ways above ours. But apart from the Bible, how would you know that? Apart from the Bible, how would you know that? The Bible, Isaiah chapter 55, actually reveals something we could never know apart from the Word of God. In fact, this is one of the fundamental problems why unbelievers look at the church or look at Christians and they don't get it. Because they don't use the Bible as the lens through which they see life. So they don't, we don't make sense. So let's get from our perspective. Many times in our lives, if we would be willing to say out loud what's in our heart, sometimes God doesn't make sense. Sometimes the circumstances of our life, they don't make sense. You look at that and you say... That doesn't make any sense to me. God, I know that you are who you say you are, but this situation makes no sense. And I'll admit, I'm admitting openly, apart from the Bible, God sometimes doesn't make any sense at all to me. If you take this away from how I see life, sometimes God totally doesn't make any sense 
apart from the Word. If we measure God by our scale, God will sometimes seem irrational, irrational. He will seem uncaring. And this describes how much we need the Bible to see and interpret life and the circumstances of life. So I'm going to give you a real practical, personal example today. When our discipleship minister, Brian Perry, died this past February, and by the way, I want you to know I, I covered this with Jennifer beforehand, so she's okay with me using Brian's story today. When our discipleship minister, Brian Perry, died this past February the 12th, it made no sense to me. I didn't see it coming. I'd believed all along, prayed all along that God was going to heal him, and then he died suddenly. If I were totally honest with you, which I will be today, about that moment, about that Wednesday night, God's decision to bring Brian Perry home didn't make any sense to me. I remember Brian telling me when he was first diagnosed with cancer, he was in his office and we were having a conversation and he had just found out that uh, he had this terrible disease and he looks at me and he says this word, these words, I was just hitting my stride. And what he was saying is that after a year in the ministry, he had just gotten to where he knew what he was doing and feeling comfortable at what he was doing. He was really good at it. And he said, I was just hitting my stride and pow, here it comes. You know what Brian was actually saying to me at that moment? He says, Terry, at this point, this doesn't make any sense to me either. It doesn't make any sense. From my human perspective, from my thoughts and my ways, because we start today with God's revelation that, that His thoughts are not like our thoughts, and His ways are not like our ways, and the gap between His thoughts and our thoughts are, are like heaven to, our, to, to earth. They're unmeasurable distances. And yet we have this idea, we have this idea that somehow or another that I ought to know why something happens. And he ought to be thinking about a situation like I'm thinking about a situation, but it's not true. From my human perspective in that moment with Brian's sickness, from my thoughts and my ways, Brian's death didn't make any sense at all. And I struggled for a while. Brian left behind a beautiful wife, two beautiful daughters. How can we make sense out of that? Brian was making a huge impact for the gospel of Christ in his ministry role of the church. He was affecting many people. We needed Brian, and why would God take him? It didn't make any sense from a human, my way, my thoughts perspective. It doesn't make any sense. And here's a big point. Apart from the Bible, apart from this, apart from seeing life through the lens of Scripture, it still wouldn't make any sense. Apart from the Bible, it still wouldn't make any sense to me today. My human reasoning, my way and my thoughts could not process that situation and say, well, that makes perfect sense, because it didn't. That's why we need the Bible. That's why we need the Word of God, to understand the truth about God, to not fabricate a God that we want, but to see the God of truth as He is. 
The Bible is the key to understanding life. Understand this. I can't make you believe this. I can tell you the truth. The Bible is the key to understanding life, to see life from God's eternal perspective. That's why unbelievers will never look at life the way we look at life. They can't see. They're looking through a total different set of lenses than we see. I want to repeat it again, Isaiah 55, this time verse 8. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. Our natural hearts, and when I say natural hearts, I mean our sin nature, our fallen sin nature. We've all got it. Our natural hearts fight a battle with God. There's a spiritual war that's taking place. And I want you to understand today what one of the forms of that spiritual war are. Here it comes. Here's one of the forms of the spiritual war between God and natural man. When we would look at God and say, that's not how I would do it. As if somehow or another, our way would be superior to His way. That's not how I'd do it. That doesn't make any sense, God. How I would do it makes sense. How you just did it doesn't make any sense. As if somehow or another, I'm an authority on this issue. Can you see the truth? The battle? God would have, let's just start with a foundation. God would have so much more information about, for example, Brian Perry's life in the future than I would, right? He would have so much more information. How much information? I may have like this much information, and God has this eternal amount of information. He sees eternity. I don't even see the end of the day. And yet, I would ask, I would look at God and say, well, this doesn't make any sense, God, because I ought to have more information on this. This past February, before Brian died, I didn't know what was coming in the future for Brian. He died February 12th. I, I didn't know there was going to be a pandemic. I, I didn't know what was going to happen in the future, but God did. God already saw it all. Then how could I possibly be able to look at God and say, that's not how I would have done it, God. You see, this is the battle of the human flesh, that God has all the information, and all of His information is perfect, and He sees everything from an eternal perspective, and yet we would have the audacity to look at Him and say, well, that's not how I would do it, as if somehow or another, my way would have been superior to His. Some of you may be wondering where I'm going with this thought today. Here it is. What if the Bible… What if the Bible reveals that God is working everything out right now? That God is working everything out for your best possible outcome in light of eternity. What if the Bible is the only way you and I will ever be able to see life from an eternal perspective? In fact, if you stop looking at life through the lens of Scripture, nothing's going to make sense in your life. Nothing's going to make sense in your family. Nothing's going to make sense in society. Nothing's going to make sense in the world until you start looking at life through the lens of Scripture as God has revealed life itself. And He has all the information. 
He has all the information all the time. He sees eternity. I can't see Tuesday. All of his information is perfect. And he, not only does he have all the information, he is perfect love. And he demonstrates perfect love for his children all the time. And when Brian got the bad news that they were canceling his bone marrow transplant because his cancer numbers were spiking, he came in the office and he started quoting a scripture. Now, there would be a lot of ways you could respond to that bad news. He, he was looking for the bone marrow transplant. Everybody was set up. His owner calendar. We were rejoicing because actually that was his cure. That was the cure. Everybody was seeing that's the end of the road. We'll go back to normal. Life will continue. And then he finds out they've canceled his bone marrow's bone marrow transplant because his numbers are spiking. And he walks into the office immediately over and over quoting Romans 8, 28. Let me read it to you. And we know that God causes everything. Does that include cancer? Does that include pandemics? Does that include family problems? Marital issues? Wayward children? And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. You know what Brian was doing that day when he walked in the office? Brian was using the Bible to interpret his doctor's report. Here's the doctor's report, and if you just look at the doctor's report, it makes no sense. But if you take the Bible and you use it as the lens through which I will look at the doctor's report, suddenly he said, all things work together for the good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Suddenly life took on a different meaning. Now, how in the world would you and I know that God was working all these details of our lives for good apart from the Bible? You wouldn't. You would see life totally different. And quite frankly, most of your life would probably be angry or messed up or anxious. Because the circumstances usually don't make much sense. Something inside of Brian, and I can see it now. I don't know that I could see it then. Something inside of Brian, and I know it's the Holy Spirit, was communicating to Brian that verse. The Holy Spirit was opening his eyes to see that doctor's report through the lens of Scripture. That God's going to use this for his glory. God's working all this out from eternal perspective. He knows what's coming in the future. And he's got another plan. Do you see the verse? Excuse me. Do you know the verse that follows that verse that everybody quotes? Look at verse 29. For God knows, for God knew his people in advance. Are you with me? He knows it in advance. He's, he's not just catching up. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he does something supernatural. He gave them his glory. And you know what that is? He gave you himself the Holy Spirit, so that you can see what other people can't see. You'll see life through the lens of Scriptures. God knows us in advance. 
He sees the future from the beginning, and we can't even see Tuesday. God has chosen us to become like his son, and I'm going to talk about that in detail toward the end. And because he can see everything perfectly clear, his ways will never be like our ways. His thoughts will never be like our thoughts. You know why? Because we don't have his information. We don't have his information. Can we just agree we don't have God's information? Anybody think you've got all of God's information? We don't have his information. We don't have his understanding. But there's something even bigger than that. We're not God. His ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts because we don't have his information. We don't have his understanding. But fundamentally, we're not God. He is. We're not God. That's the ultimate reason why his ways and his thoughts are not like ours because we're not him. A big question. What is it that makes us think we could possibly know as much as God anyway? And this is kind of a foundational theological question. What is it? What is it about us? Because we've all got it. What is it about us that makes us think that we ought to be equivalent to him in thinking and in knowledge when it comes to a certain circumstance? What is that? Where does that come from? It is the original sin. I want to show you. It is the original sin. So let's go to Genesis 3 verse 4. Satan is with Eve in the garden, and he looks at Eve, and he says, you won't die. Genesis 3, verse 4. You won't die. Well, there's the first lie. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And here it comes. And you will be like God. Well, his ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And as far as the heavens are above the earth, that's how far he is from the way we think. And then Satan says, no, 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 no. There's a way to undo that. Just eat this, follow me, and you can be like God, knowing both good and evil. It was a lie then, and it's a lie today. No, you can't be like God, knowing everything about good and evil. No, you can't do it. The attempt to be like God has terrible consequences. This idea that somehow or another we can make ourselves equal to God, we can cast off the burden of God, cast off the authority of God, raise ourselves equivalent to God, His ways, my ways, equal. It's a lie. It has terrible consequences. In fact, after the fall, after Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, after the fall, after that first sin, Genesis 3.22, And then the Lord God said, look, the human beings have become like us. They're like us. Knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out and take fruit from the tree of life and eat it? Then they will live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. If Satan was telling the truth and they could be like God, then how would God have the authority to throw them out? Because it's a lie. It didn't make them like God. God was still God, and the only thing they were now was outside of his presence. It's a lie. We can't be like 
God because God is God. Look, the humans have become like us, knowing both good and evil. This is the fall of man then, and this is the fall of man now. Did you hear me? This is still the fall of man. We can't be God because there's only one true God. But how could you possibly know that apart from the Bible? You wouldn't. Our very nature has been corrupted by sin. And we think we know what God knows. And we think that we think like God thinks. And this attempt to be like God, to become a God unto ourselves, will cause you to be banished from the garden then in Genesis and also now and into eternity. We must grasp this fun foundational truth before we can move on on this topic. The basis of all sin is the idea that we could be like God. And I want you to understand what that means, that I could become an authority unto myself, that I could report to me, that I disavow anyone above me, beyond me, and that all of my life is made sense through my way and my thoughts, and you will die from that because you're not God. You'll never be God. Satan is a liar. He lied to Eve. There's only, and here's the truth, there is only one true God. But how would you know that apart from the Bible? You wouldn't. How would you see that apart from the Scripture? No, you would look around it, and you would make up God's, or you'd be your own God. Deuteronomy 32, verse 39, I believe to be absolute truth. Look now. I myself am He. There is no other God but me. I am the one who kills, and I am the one who gives life. I am the one who wounds, and I am the one who heals, and no one can be rescued from my powerful hand. Now keep that scripture up there, and I want to ask everybody a question. Can you disagree with that? Can you look at that and say, well, that doesn't make any sense. You're the God who kills? I thought you were the God of love. Well, if you're the God of love, you can't be the God who kills and the God who wounds. So that doesn't make any sense. You know what you just did? You just raised yourself to your own level of truth. You now can determine truth on your own. You don't need an external source of truth. You can be truth by yourself. You can be like God. You can be like God. Can you argue with that? Can you look at this scripture and say, well, that doesn't make any sense. And because it doesn't make any sense to me as a human, it doesn't make any sense at all. It's not fair. You're the God who wounds, the God who kills. That's not just. But how in the world would you know that he's the God who wounds and the God who kills? How would you know he's the God who gives life and who heals apart from this book, apart from the lens through which you see life? Let me give you one more, Isaiah 43, verse 10. But you are my witnesses, O Israel, says the Lord. You are my servant. You have been chosen to know me, believe in me, and understand that I alone am God. 
There is no other God. There never has been, and there never will be. I, yes, I am the Lord, and there is no other Savior. Can anybody argue with this? You see, when you reject this, you're putting yourself as your own God. Your own person can establish this truth. Do you disagree with this word? What word? There is no other Savior. We need to stop applying. Church, here's my message today. We need to stop applying our human logic and methods to the ways of God and go back to the Bible to understand the truth about God's will and God's way. We need to stop interjecting our opinion and our logic and our thinking into the truth of God. We have never been able to think like God. His thoughts are not our thoughts, and His ways are not our ways. Then let me give you some physical examples from the Scripture, okay? I want you to understand where I'm going. Would you have let Satan have his way with Job? The story of Job begins with God as assembled the heavenly court, and Satan happens to be there that day, which is kind of beyond my ability to comprehend anyway. And Satan shows up, and God says to Satan, have you considered my man Job? And they get into conversation, and he allows, he allows Satan to go and absolutely take everything that Job's got and destroy it. Seven sons, three daughters, all of his livestock, all of his wealth, his health, everything's gone. Is that how you'd have done it? That's not, listen, that is not how I would have done it. What about Joshua? Joshua has all, Moses has died, and Joshua is now going to lead Israel across the Jordan River into the promised land, and there's fortified city of Jericho, a strong military fortress, and what does God tell Joshua to do? I want you to walk around it seven times and blow horns. Would you have done it like that? I'd have said, where's the hand grenades? That's not how I'd do it. What about Gideon? Gideon goes to war, and he's got 32,000 soldiers, and God says, no, get rid of them. I want them to have 300. Send them all home to do war against this massive army of Midianites. Is that how you would do it? His ways are not our ways. Keep going. Would you send a skinny shepherd boy to fight against Goliath while there were soldiers, Israeli soldiers, with big guys with muscles and swords and spears and coat of armor? Would you send a skinny shepherd boy with a stick and some stones? That's not how I'd do it. Would you send Moses out with a stick into the most powerful man's office in the world, Pharaoh, and tell him to let my people go? That's not how I'd do it. Would you pick uneducated country fishermen to carry the greatest good news of all mankind to the world? That's not how I'd do it. Would you have let Lazarus lie dead four days in the grave while Mary and Martha wept and wailed outside? That's not how I'd have done it. But here's the biggest. Would you choose your only son to be the Savior of the world? Would you choose your only son to be the Savior of the world, knowing in advance that they would drive nails in his hands and they would spit in his face and they would call him names, put a crown of thorns on his head? Would you, would you do that? That's not how I'd have done it. Listen very carefully. 
in every one of the examples I just gave, in every example I just gave you, God wins. That's not how I'd do it. That, that's kind of irrelevant right now. God wins. And you know who else wins? Everyone who connected their life to God in those scenes also won. God wins. He always wins. His way always wins. That's not the way we would have done it, but they all still won. Now, I'm specifically applying this winning thinking to those who love the Lord and who have connected themselves to the Lord. Job, Joshua, Gideon, David, Moses, Peter, Andrew, James, John, all connected themselves to God. How? I want you to understand this. How? By refusing to be their own God. By refusing to accept their own authority, their own will, their own way. And submitting to the will and the way of God instead. It's called faith. They submitted to the authority of the one true God. It's called faith. Notice the Roman scripture again. It says, all those who love the Lord. God's working all this stuff out for those who love the Lord. This winning is conditional to those who love the Lord. He's working all this stuff out. Let me read verse 28 again, Romans 8. We know that God causes everything to work together for good for those who love God. What if you don't? Does it God work everything out for good for those who hate God, reject God, refuse God? All of those men in my example gave up their will. All of those men in my example gave up their will and their way and their attempt to be their own God, and they chose faith, even if it didn't make any sense. Can anybody in the room imagine that it made any sense for Joshua to turn around and look at this massive army that's behind him? Israel's behind him. They're frightened. They're going into the promised land. There's fortified Jericho. And what does Joshua say to them? We're going to walk around it seven times and blow horns. Does that make any sense? In fact, I wonder in Joshua's mind thinking, if I tell them that, they're going to rebel against me. They're going to fight me. But even if it doesn't make sense, even if it doesn't make any sense, even if it looks crazy, God saw the future. And he clearly communicated to Joshua, this is how you'll win. And if you'll stay with me and do it my way, you'll win. Because God always wins. They chose to love the one true God and submit to his will and his way and his word, even if it didn't make any sense. It's called faith. It was called faith then, it's called faith now. And Jesus is the grand finale in this list of men that gave up their attempt to be God. Did you hear me? I want you to understand theologically what this means. Jesus gave up his power to be God. They couldn't take him by force. He submitted himself. He's going to put aside his divine privileges. This is how God was going to undo the original sin. In Philippians 2-3, listen carefully. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for 
only for yourselves, for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And here's, where, here's his lesson. You must have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Church, are you hearing me? You must have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Though he was God, though he was God in the flesh, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he did something. He gave up his divine privileges. He took a humble position as a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on the cross. Do you see it? Jesus gave up his divine privileges, and he submitted himself fully to the will of the Father. And yes, there was a time, many of you are going to be confused by this, there was a time that even Jesus would have said, this doesn't make any sense. You remember the Bible says he was the Son of Man and the Son of God. The book of Hebrews says he's like us in every way. And I want to tell you, this is the part that moves my soul. What I'm about to read to you in Mark chapter 14 was Brian Perry's theme verse for his life. He wrote me a letter four and a half years before he died. Four and a half years before he died, he writes me a letter. And in that letter, he lists this scripture that I'm about to read to you. And when you hear the scripture, you'll understand why God in advance was working out everything in Brian Perry's life. And in retrospect, revealing some of it even in advance. Mark 14, 32. They went on to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed in grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and fell to the ground. He prayed. Jesus prayed what? If it were possible, this awful hour awaiting him might pass away from him. It's not making any sense. Not in the flesh. In the flesh. This doesn't make sense. Verse 36. This was Brian Perry's theme verse four and a half years before he was diagnosed with cancer. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. In that moment, on the eve of his crucifixion, Jesus' thoughts and Jesus' ways were in a battle with God the Father. Abba, Father, if there's any way, take this cup. Take this cup away from me, Father. You see, Jesus saw that the cup was a cup of suffering. To, to give up his divine privileges and, and, and accept an authority beyond him was a cup of suffering. This cup is bitter. If there's any way, take this cup away from me. I don't want to drink this cup in the flesh. This cup doesn't make any sense. But then he says one, yet I want your will to be done, no man. If you ask me to drink the cup, I'll drink the cup. 
I don't want to drink the cup. The cup doesn't make any sense. In this moment, um, in this garden, this cup doesn't make any sense. In my human flesh, in my human way, in my human reasoning, this cup doesn't make any sense. But if you ask me to drink the cup, I will. I'll drink the cup. In that moment, he gave up his divine privileges and he submitted to the Father. And I want you to understand what this is. He drank the cup that represents his Father's will, his Father's way. In fact, Jesus had already determined in advance that he was going to have to drink this cup. And even though he had determined in advance he was going to have to drink the cup, even then in the garden that Thursday night, he asked the Lord, would you please take this cup away? We must decide beforehand if you're going to drink this cup. In John 17, 4, before the cross, Jesus says, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. What was the work? What is the ultimate work of God through this holy man, Jesus? Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. The work was the cross. Father, I brought you glory by completing the work you gave me to do. What is the work? The work is the cross. And the cross is the cup. He had to drink the cup. Father, if there's any way, take the cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The work of the Father, the thoughts and the ways of the Father were going to make a way for the whole world to be set free from sin and death. And here's the truth. There was no man that would have chosen this way. Only God would have chosen this way, this cross. No human would have had such a thought. No human would have had such a way. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our thoughts. None of us would have ever thought of crucifying our only begotten son to save a bunch of people. Aren't you happy that his ways are not our ways? And his thoughts are not our thoughts? Romans 5, 6. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time, and He died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. If it were left to us, if it were left to us, our will and our way and our thoughts, everyone would die and go to hell. And I'm going to tell you why. I would not give any of my children or my grandchildren to save a single person in this room. And I love you, but I, my thoughts and my ways, I would not give any of my children or any of my grandchildren to save anybody here. Aren't you glad that His ways are not our ways? And His thoughts are not our thoughts? Because God gave up His only Son, His only Son, to save us. Jesus gave up His divine privileges for the joy that was coming after the resurrection, knowing that God the Father was going to bring him back to heaven to share the joy they had together before the world began. 
For the joy awaiting on the other side of the cross, listen carefully, for the joy awaiting on the other side of the cross, Jesus submitted to the Father's will, and Jesus drank the cup. He didn't want to drink the cup, but for the joy awaiting him on the other side of the cross, he drank the cup of suffering. You know, there's a lot of people that want to drink the cup if it is sweet, but very few want to drink the cup if it is bitter. The cup. And for the joy awaiting us, we will do the same. Listen carefully, church. This cup to submit to the Father's will, to reject being your own God and bow to an authority beyond you. This cup, Jesus drank the cup for the joy awaiting him. We will drink the cup for the joy awaiting us. I told you earlier that I was going to deal with this specific issue of doing what Jesus did. Go to verse 29, Romans 8. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. He chose us to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God has chosen us to do something. Everybody, I want to make this clear. God has chosen you and I to give up our rights. God has chosen us to give up our thoughts, to give up our ways, and to drink the cup of the Father's will, to embrace the cup. Rather than asking God to remove the cup, you embrace the cup. Whether it is bitter or whether it is sweet, embrace the cup. Drink it to become like the Son. But how? Okay, preacher, I hear you, but how is that possible? Hebrews 12, 2. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary, and then you won't give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in the struggle against sin. This cup is for winners. Whoever drinks this cup will win because the cup is God's way. It might not make sense when you are asked to drink it. This is my 63, I'm 63 years old. I'm going to give you my 63-year-old conclusion of the matter of life. Here it is. His way is better than my way. His thoughts are better than my thoughts. And this is the wonderful news to everyone hearing my voice today. God is working out His way right now. Today. And you may not have any idea that He is, but He is. God is working out His way right now in the middle of this pandemic, in the middle of your circumstance, in the middle of your life situation. He's working out every detail, and He knows eternity. I'll admit to you that sometimes this current life doesn't make much sense to me. If I look at this past eight weeks we've been shut down here, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. That's not how I would have done it. I would have never used a pandemic to expand the gospel. That's not how I would have worked things out. But I'll tell you this. Many are being awakened by this plague that's traveling around the earth. Many are coming to Christ. 
Many are confessing Christ and repenting of their sins, and they would have never done it apart from this pandemic. We've baptized five people since we've shut down. You tell me. Many are taking advantage of this window of opportunity to turn to Christ before the countdown ends. The gospel is being preached, and it's going out in ways that I would have never planned, never thought of, never desired. And yet he's still doing it. Let me give you some actual examples. Back in January, we were doing a live feed uh, before the pandemic began. We get analytics back from the computer system. 1,333 people a week were watching our online services. In February, that number went to 2,562, still before the pandemic. That's how many, pe- how many viewers, uh, not viewers, that's how many devices are watching it. In March, when the pandemic began, late March, that number went to 3,567 a week. Last month in April, during the shutdown, that number went to 4,684. Well, I'm going to tell you, I would have never done it this way. It's miserable sitting in here and talking to empty chairs. But you know what? In the middle of that, God's working all things together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. And He's calling people to become like His Son. And He has set a cup in front of people. And He said, if you will drink from this cup, you will live. But that cup, drinking from that cup, means that you acknowledge that His thoughts are not your thoughts, and His ways are not your ways. And as high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how far He is from me. And yet, that far away, He still offers me this cup. He still offers me this cup. I would have never done it this way, but I'm watching God turn this pandemic into paradise for some. Some are going to use this time to wake up, and they're going to give up their so-called God complex, and they're going to submit to the one true God. Yes, some, even in a pandemic, are drinking the cup of Christ. Yes, sometimes it's bitter, and sometimes it's sweet, but it is always life And the ones who drink it always wins because God is God and God always wins. And those who have connected themselves to God will always win. So I'm going to summarize and I'm going to wrap up. Here's the summary, Romans 8, 27. I'm going to read all the way through verse 30. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. For God knew His people in advance, and He chose them to become like His Son, so that His Son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, He called them to come to Him. And having called them, He gave them right standing with Himself. And having given them right standing, He gave them what? His glory. Do you understand what that is? His glory is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christ is God is in me. His glory is in me. God is working everything out for good. If, if you love the Lord and you're called according to His purpose, if you love the Lord and called to this purpose, He's going to work out everything. His son gave up his divine privileges, and he drank the cup of the Father's will. And I'm going to tell everyone hearing my voice today the truth. If you refuse the cup of Christ, you have rejected the covenant of life itself. You have rejected salvation. You chose death. 
You chose the lie over the truth. The Bible says all things work together for good for those who love the Lord. But if you refuse to love the Lord, all things are not going to work together for your good. In fact, I'm going to tell you, the opposite will occur. Horror will come to your life if you reject the cup of Christ. In Proverbs 14, 12, here's the dilemma of all mankind. There is a way that seems right unto a man. You know what way that is? My way. My thoughts, my way. There's a way that seems right unto a man, but in the end, that way leads to death. In the garden, they were banished. They were banished because they thought they could be like God. And they didn't have to submit to the authority of God. And they didn't have to drink the cup that God gave them. They could decide how to make their own cup. It was a lie then and it's a lie now. Hell is banishment from the paradise of God. Jesus invites us today, each of us, to drink the cup of the new covenant. And we're going to do that now. I ask you to get out your communion and go on and get that opened up. And as you open it up, I want you to understand it was a Thursday night before Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane and asks for the cup to be taken away. Father, if there's any way, take this cup from me. Before that, Jesus sits at a table with his disciples, and he holds up a cup, and he says, this covenant, this cup is a picture of a covenant of blood. If you drink this, you'll have life. So I'm going to ask everyone, if you get it out, hold up the bread. This is unleavened bread. There is no yeast in this bread, which is why it's flat. No yeast. Yeast is a symbol of sin. There was a bread. Jesus is the bread of life. There was a bread that had no yeast. There was a human body that had no yeast. There was a human body that had no sin. And we have access to the human body without sin, the body of Christ. Let's take it in. And there is a cup. And sometimes the cup is bitter and sometimes the cup is sweet. But the cup is the submission to the will of the Father. And Jesus says, if there's any way, take this cup from me. Because in the moment, the cup was hard. But then Jesus opened the door to salvation and said, but not my will, but yours. So today, we drink the cup of Christ. Hold your cup up. Let's say out loud, the cup of Christ. Say it again. The cup of Christ. We drink the cup of Christ. Father, we receive the body of Christ. We receive the blood of Christ. We reject our will and our way. Even if it doesn't make any sense when we receive the cup, we drink the cup. For we know that whoever drinks the cup wins because you win. You always win. So, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that your Holy Spirit will come, and you'll open our eyes, and we'll see. You'll open our ears, and we'll hear, and you'll open our hearts, and we'll believe. So, Lord, I pray if there's anyone here in this audience or even at home watching on some device, that, Lord, they will call upon the name of the Lord. They'll drink this cup, and they'll have life eternal in Jesus' name, and amen. We're going to offer an invitation.
If you're in the room today and the Holy Spirit is inviting you to make some decision, I'd like to talk to you. I'll be standing over here. I'll be happy to meet with anybody now or this coming week. Let's stand. Let's stand together.